experts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, here at the XML Financial Group. Happy New Year. I hope you had a terrific holiday season. Today, we're kicking off 2022 with our annual outlook. This is part one, the big picture. On the next show, part two, I'll be doing my stocks for the coming year. That's where I'll give you specific ideas that you can take away and research and see if they make sense for you. But as I said, today we are focused on the big picture. Those of you who've listened over the years, you know that the big picture plays a secondary role for me. I'm a fundamental first kind of investor. In other words, I'm looking for great businesses that are trading for less than what I think they're worth. I think that's just a good common sense way of doing it. Trying to invest starting with the big picture, well, it can get pretty messy pretty quick in that you have to make a lot of decisions before you even get to the question of what to invest in. You're trying to forecast things like GDP, unemployment, interest rates, and so on and so forth. A couple of bad choices anywhere along that path, and you could end up being, well, where you don't want to be. If you approach it from the fundamentals, you really only have two big decisions to make. One, is this a good business? And two, what price do I want to pay for it? Granted, a lot goes into answering those two questions, but I do think it's a much better way to go about it. Nonetheless, I'm going to do my best and give you my thoughts on the coming year. Let's start by looking back for a second. In March of 2020, the market went south for obvious reasons. At that time, I said on the podcast that I thought it was the start of a new bull market. I know everything was ugly back then. Me saying a new bull market? Well, I reiterated that view during last year's annual outlook. You can find it on our website, which is xmlfg.com if you're interested. My prediction at that time was that this new bull market would take us to about 7,000 on the S&P 500 over the next five to seven years. Basically, a doubling of your money. It may have sounded like a bold prediction at the time, but it really wasn't. What I was calling for was an average annual return of around 12%, which was well below what the market had been averaging for the previous 10 years. So the first big question is, Am I still standing by that? The short answer is yes, but, and there's always a but, right? I don't want you to think that the market is going to return 12% a year every year for the next five years, because I just don't think that's the case. It doesn't go in a straight line. As I said on the last show, I've read a bunch of the annual outlooks and the ones that are put out by the various strategists and most of them are calling for a pretty pedestrian type of 2022. And what I mean is that out of 15 Wall Street strategists, the average call is for the S&P 500 to rise 6.2% next year. Over the last 90 years, the market has averaged around 
So they're saying a little bit below average, pretty close, right? It's going to be an average year. But the market is rarely average. According to Janice Henderson, the S&P has gained between 5 and 10% only six times in the last 94 years. That's about 6 7% of the time. That means 94% of the time, the market is at more extremes, up about two-thirds of the time and down about a third of the time. When it goes up, it averages around 18%. And when it goes down, it's down around 14%. It's boom or bust. When things are really good, well, they're really good. And when it's not, well, then it's really not. Could 2020, uh, 2022 be one of those rare times when we actually get average? It's possible. The last couple of years, the market has been driven by liquidity. It actually started back during the great financial crisis, which was brought on by the bursting of the housing bubble and then got a huge boost at the start of the pandemic. Simply put, the Federal Reserve flooded the system with dollars. In Congress, well, they passed trillions in stimulus packages. So, all this money, all this money needs a home. The consumer wasn't spending as much because, well, we're locked up in our houses. And you can see a severe drop in spending by looking at the personal consumption expenditures put out by the St. Louis Fed's website. Just Google Fred and it should be the first thing that comes up in your search results. So that money that's sitting there, well, it was just getting saved and invested. With interest rates at historically low levels, the obvious choice for a lot of folks was to put that in the stocks. Remember, your investment dollars are always looking for their best alternative. With things like CDs paying diddly squat, most people are going to accept the risk associated with equities. That's a double whammy for stocks. A ton of liquidity and low interest rates. And if you want a third whammy, well, then growth looked pretty darn good too. The numbers are a little funky in that when we went in that we went from a good economy to being shut down to reopening. Since we started to reopen, you saw these gaudy GDP numbers, awesome year-over-year earning increases, and so on and so forth. These numbers sounded so great because they were being compared to the year before, which was horrible. If you open the lens a little bit and compare them to before the pandemic, well, they still look pretty good. Not the stellar view that you were getting, but still, it was something like low double-digit earnings growth. and I'll take that. So looking back at it, it's pretty easy to explain the last two years of fantastic market returns. Now, a byproduct of all that liquidity is inflation. And I think this caught a lot of folks off guard. First, if you're younger, younger than 30, that is, you've never really seen inflation, real inflation. The last 20 years, we've been like, oh, 2% inflation? Okay. We just didn't think about it very much. The Fed has an inflation target of a target rate of around 2%. And I think they've actually been disappointed for a long term that we never really actually got to 2%. Back in 2009, when we started pumping money into the system, 
people started to wonder when inflation was going to kick in, and it just never did. It stumped a lot of folks why we had all this money but no inflation. Now it seems like we're finally getting it. And I tell you, it can be really dangerous. I said during my outlook last year that I thought we'd see some higher inflation rates as we reopened. And of course, that did happen, but that they would eventually subside. It seemed to me that that was just common sense. Inflation is basically too much money chasing too few goods. We had a bunch of money, as we already know. And as we reopened, people were buying more goods and services that we hadn't produced over the last year or so. So voila, inflation. About six months after I said that, inflation would be temporary. Actually, what I said was transitory, but I hate that word now, so I don't use it. I went from temporary to more semi-permanent. So I've changed my view. And that's still where I am today. But there's a big question mark here. Last year at this time, I didn't anticipate a number of things. That's why you don't hang your hat on annual outlooks or yearly predictions. Because things can change and they can change pretty quick. I didn't anticipate the appetite for the amount of spending that was coming out of Washington. No mandates turned into mandates, which obviously affect the labor market and supply chain issues, so on. Some of these things will subside. Some won't. The supply chain issues will eventually resolve itself, but wage increases, those those are more permanent. The big thing here is to watch what the Fed will do going forward. I think they're behind the curve in withdrawing liquidity and raising rates. And you have a real big risk of a policy mistake. In other words, them tightening too fast, too quickly. So that's where we are, where we've been. Question is, where are we going now? Well, I think we've moved on from this expansionary growth rah-rah phase to the slowdown stage. That doesn't mean that the bull market is over, but I do think it's slowing down a bit. When you enter the slowdown phase, returns obviously tend to be lower, and volatility is usually higher. I will say that growth is coming off very high levels, and I think that this phase is likely to be longer than usual. Actually, I don't even want to call it a slowdown slowdown phase. How about uh, a normalization phase? If we can leave COVID behind us, I think we'll learn to live with it. Even if we can't leave COVID behind us, I think that we'll learn to live with it and all its variants to the point where it becomes less disruptive to the economy and our lives. If that's the case, then the economy can remain strong. Yes, I think it'll continue to trend downwards towards its long-term averages, but still, it'll be pretty good. Think about this for a minute. If we can adjust to COVID, a whole bunch of other things will take care of themselves. More people will go back to work. Supply chain issues will resolve themselves. Uh, Inflation will come off the boil, so to speak. In other words, we get closer to normal. So I think the economy does okay. But what does that mean for stocks? 
I think it's the same for businesses. My call is for corporate profitability to trend lower, just like the economy does. And that's because at the start of the pandemic, businesses cut costs aggressively. They improved their productivity. Lower interest rates reduced debt servicing and uh, a weak dollar boosted overseas earnings. As we reopened, well, sales surged, pricing power increased, and that's because of demand and the consumer having plenty of cash. All these, thing, all these things happening again is unlikely. So what I think is more, uh, what is more likely is that corporate profit growth decelerates and margins contract. In other words, they don't grow as fast as they did last year, and a company makes less for every dollar in revenue that it brings in. And there are a few, thing, a few reasons why I think that's going to be the case. First is a slowdown in top-line growth. That's because a slower-growing economy and a decline in purchase, or pricing power. We've already talked about the economy slowing, and pricing power or a company's ability to raise prices has been hurt because wages aren't keeping up with inflation. Then there are the margins. The tight labor market causing wages to go up, and businesses can't raise prices at the rate that they were. Wages, understand, wages are a huge expense for businesses. According to BCA research, wages account for about 50% of sales. That's a huge expense. That's far more than anything else. Then you have other expenses like input prices that are going to cut into margins too. So let's take a second and recap this. So far, we have an economy that's still growing at a decent clip, just not as fast as last year. Corporate profits are probably going to follow this same path. Still decent, but not as good as last year. Now let's get to the numbers, right? That's what we want to hear. Tell us the call, Eric. Okay, let's do the math. It's pretty simple, really. A lot of work, but relatively simple to do. A stock's total return is going to be earnings growth plus the dividend and any expansion or contraction to the multiple. And that's what people are willing to pay for a dollar of earnings. Let's tackle earnings growth first. Economists are expecting the overall economy to grow at about 7.6% for 2022. And I use that number as a proxy for corporate sales growth. Sales growth isn't the same as earnings growth. As I said, I think margins will contract. So let's account for that. Let's just say that 7.6% in revenue growth comes out to about 7.3 in earnings growth. I discounted it a bit. 7.3% in earnings growth. Now, for the dividend, historically, it's been about 2.2%, which sounds about right to me. So, so far, we have 7.3% in growth, add in another 2.2% in a dividend. And that puts us at about a 9.5% total return. And that's assuming that people are still willing to pay the same amount as they have been for a dollar of earnings. Right now, investors are paying up about 21, 22 times forward earnings for the S&P 500, which I think 
is about what they'll continue to pay, at least for the near term. Actually, probably slightly less because growth is slowing. Don't get me wrong. That's not cheap. When the S&P 500 is trading at over 21 time forward multiple to earnings, the probability of negative returns over the next 12 months has historically been about 65%. So with stocks trading at the price that they are, historically, well, you've lost money 65% of the time over the next year. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. But I do think that PEs do contract somewhat because, number one, it's expensive. And number two, growth is slowing down. So your question might be, well, why doesn't it drop to 17 times, which is much more normal, more along the long-term average? It's a good question. But again, even if you have interest rates rise and go from zero to 2%, it's still 2%. You're not going to have a lot of people flocking to income. Some, yes, but again, it's 2%. Let's put that in our numbers. 7.3% growth, a 2.2% dividend. That's a 9.5% total return. And reduce that because of the contraction in the price multiple. Let's just call it 9% return for the coming year. That's what I'm thinking. My bias is on the upside here. Call it very low double-digit returns on the S&P, say 11 or 12%. I think that's pretty good. So my call is for the market to return somewhere between 9 and, say, 12%. Eh, kind of a big range, but that's okay. I said earlier that I thought volatility would, or I think volatility is going to be higher. And that's because historically, it usually is during this stage. But also because the market is priced pretty well. There's not a lot of room for mistakes, and mistakes will happen. The Fed could decide to get overly aggressive in raising rates to fight inflation. We could see some geopolitical event. You know, Russia invades Ukraine. China tries to claim Taiwan. Who knows? But the market isn't priced for big events. If we had another variant, like I said, who knows? But I would look to use this volatility to my advantage. So let me sum this up. I'm guessing the market, that's the S&P 500 returns, are going to be in the high single digits, the very low double digits. Volatility is going to be higher. And I'd look to use this, use this to my advantage. The market gets ahead of itself, then I might want to do some pruning. If it pulls back, well, then I might want to add a bit. As I said, the market isn't cheap. It's perfectly priced and rarely do things turn out to be perfect. I think this year is going to be the year of stock picking rather than buying and holding a passive type of fund. That's worked really well over the last couple of years as the market's gone straight up. But I think this year's a different story. On the next show, I'm going to be talking about specific investments that I like for the coming year. These are the ideas that you can take away and research and see if they make sense for you. You always want to do your own research. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. I'm Eric Whiteman, and this has been 
Common Sense Investing. to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talk about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and are not necessarily those of the XML Financial Group. I typically own and trade the securities I'm discussing, both personally and for my clients, but not all of them. Likewise, employees of XML and our affiliate broker-dealer may be trading and providing advice regarding the securities I mentioned to their clients as well. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, you should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I suggest you get someone who's qualified in those areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. I like to make projections and other forward-looking statements, which are just that, opinions, and are not actual results and are only valid as of the date of this recording. Things change constantly. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.